Well, here we are back at Reality Check Chat. I'm here with my podsters. Podsters? I like podsters. Podster. Chatters. I'm here with I like podsters. Chatters. My podsters, my fellow chatters. And podcast is supported by the Independent Democratic Women of Susquehanna County here in rural Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania. We're talking, what are we talking about tonight, Judy Herschel? What are we talking about? We're talking about voting rights. We're talking about what are the things that are threatening voting rights throughout the country and what could possibly prevent or maybe fix this. There's some legislation, hopefully, that will be passed, which we'll talk about. And what, what's being threatened? Could be, because this is a topic that affects every single one of us. And I don't think everybody really knows what's going on. So hopefully we'll shed some light to that. But I'm Judy Herschel. Nice to have everybody come and listen. All, all two dozen, three dozen, four dozen of you share with your friends. But thanks for joining us tonight. And let's talk about who's trying to pass these draconian voter suppression rights. I call the phrase is Republicans who are butthurt by how the last election turned out. <laughs> Let's not I leave them out of our Could not agree question. with you more. Could not agree with you more. And we all need an introduction. I'm Liz Kearney with, with opinions to share. Okay, so I'm Barbara Scott. <laughs> well, huh? We're covered now. Everybody, everyone knows who we are. <laughs> and one of these days, maybe we will show you our faces. I got a little uplifted today when I read about because uh, this voter suppression thing has really got me down. But when I read uh, in the New York Times, Nate Cohn was talking about how it wouldn't necessarily, the Georgia law, he was talking about the Georgia law and how it wouldn't necessarily suppress votes. If that's what the legislature wanted, and I believe in my heart of hearts that that is what they wanted, because some of the things that they passed in that bill, like the legislators, you know, have more power over the Secretary of State because he did it fairly and they want to be able to like overturn elections in my view. But anyway, he felt that they, if you forget their motivation, that the tactics, the things that are in the legislation, which he did not call tactics, I'm calling them tactics. He said he didn't feel that they would necessarily benefit Republicans and suppress the vote of minorities, i.e. Democrats. So that made me feel a little better. And his reasoning was several things, but one of them was blowback. You know, it's illegal to give me water when I'm waiting in line for six hours. That's Mm -hmm. insane. So I'm going to make sure that I vote. Also because of the Senate race, where there was all this talk about how people weren't going to come and vote at a special election in Georgia, six weeks or whatever it was after the general election. And they came out in numbers greater than they they did for the general election. So you, so you never know about this kind of thing. I think that they saw, honestly, that all of these changes that were happening in different states to how the elections were being handled, there were more mail-in options, it was easier. The ID um, laws, there were obviously those that weren't, weren't enforcing that, and rightfully so, we can talk about that later on, and I think we should, why the ID thing is such a sensitive issue. But they saw a lot of people come out and it was primarily Democrat. I 100% believe that their motivations are not to fine tune our voting system. It, It definitely is to suppress the vote and they want to make it harder. You know, let's circle back around to this ID thing, you know, enforcing this ID. When you don't have your ID when you vote, you sign an affidavit claiming I am me. And if you are lying, that is a federal offense. 
And to understand why this is so such a detrimental thing is that minorities, Native American um, community members, many of them don't have IDs. It's not for us to judge why, but a high percentage doesn't. The Republican Party knows that. So they will make up these lies that they're stuffing ballots and people are voting for their dead relatives and people are voting for their, you know, their people that they live with and all these different things, but they can't find any examples of this. But people don't want to hear that people are cheating, people are stealing, so they fall for it. The main reason is because they know this makes it easier for people to vote. And that's the direction we have to go in. What makes it easier to vote? Conquer the problems. If there's cheating, conquer that. But that's not a problem. They've not found that in mass numbers. Let's make it easier. That's what a democracy is. Yeah. That's my thought on it. Yeah. Yeah. Julian, the thing of people not having ID, there's good reasons people may not have ID. Like, for example, if they don't have a car, they won't have a driver's license. And to get a state ID, which is like a driver's license, but it's, of course, not for driving, you know, you might be, they might be live far away from a DMV or they may not have the money to pay for it. And even the documents you need to provide to get that ID may not be readily at hand. You don't have a car when you live in the city very often. Right. You don't have a car. Many of my friends in Philadelphia did not have a driver's license. And for whatever yeah. reason, didn't have an ID either. Right. And, and it was a large number. It's not for me to question them. Vote, they have voting rights like we do. They're American citizens like we are. And they're large numbers. And they should have the right to vote. They're, you're signing that affidavit. You know, you, you would be a moron to sign that and risk be, getting a felony. Well, that poor woman that voted for her, was it her mother? She's going to go to prison because of it. And wait, 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 back up. Yes. Uh, Are we talking about the old case in Texas where the felon vote? No, you're talking about a new case. There's a new case where a woman filled out her ballot for a dead loved one and she got caught. And I don't know the specifics. We might not even want to include this. I don't know. But it was recent and she's looking at prison time. You can see if I can find it while we're on. Yeah, the woman in Texas, I just was, there's a new story, a recent story about her again. Her name is Crystal Mason. She was a felon. She had been convicted of tax, some kind of tax fraud. And she went to her voting place and got a provisional ballot. And she wasn't sure if she could vote or not. So she was given a provisional ballot, which I learned today was not even counted because it was provisional. She was not eligible to vote. So throughout the throughout the ballot, no problem, right? No, she was sentenced to five years in jail. It's still out. Um, she's still fighting it, but it's it's preposterous. I mean, that's what the provisional ballot was for. Exactly. And she didn't know she was ineligible to vote, and that's not fair. I mean, like I said, the vote was not counted, so there should be like you know, no harm, no foul. End of story, right? she's she's black she was in texas she tried to vote and generally liz when you have a record in pennsylvania for example people that i've I've worked in jails i've worked with as a counselor with many people that have legal backgrounds and they don't know even if they have a misdemeanor if they can vote they they think all of a sudden you know hey i have a legal record i can't vote that's the general understanding and in pennsylvania the only people that can't vote are felons that are in prison that's Mm -hmm. it you have a misdemeanor in prison or jail, you can vote. If you're waiting, awaiting trial, you can vote. If you're a felon when you and you've left prison or jail, you can vote. Most people don't don't know that. So it's it's completely 100% legitimate that she would do a provisional because she probably did not know. So this is just absolutely ridiculous. And that's what a provisional ballot's for. Like if you walk in and say maybe you're not on, not on the roll for some reason or you think you're in yeah. the right precinct. 
I don't know if I'm registered here. I don't, yeah, exactly. Which you, which you get. Yeah, you get that when you're working the pools. I, I don't know. I live, I have another house somewhere else, but I don't know if I'm registered here. Fill out a provisionary. They're not ever right. supposed and to say no to anybody, even if you don't have an ID. Even They cannot say no to anybody. When in doubt, give the provisional. Right. So it is a shame. And, yeah. You know, in, in some states, um, I just read that today. I don't know the states. It's not Pennsylvania, I'm pretty sure, but Judy, you'll confirm that. Um, the provisional ballots aren't counted. So I don't know what the point of them is. Oh, do they count them if it's a close race? Or if it would make a difference? Uh, that I don't know. I just I just heard that some states don't even count provisional. Don't count. So provisional why would ballots. you even bother to go vote provisional if you can't? The, the only exactly. reason I would I would see that if the number of provisionals that you have would make a difference with the difference of a win, it probably would be counted. I, I would assume if there was a challenge to it. Okay. Because I, I don't think it's legal to say they can't, but they may just for, it would be a waste of time in their opinion. Yeah. I think every vote should be counted, but it, it would be a waste of their time to count them if it wouldn't make a difference. Maybe, but I don't know for certain. Hmm. That, that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Update about the provisional ballots. Many states do not count provisional ballots if they are cast in precincts that the voter does not belong to. So in Pennsylvania, that's not the case, luckily. If you don't know your precinct, your provisional ballot will still be counted. So, But I hope he's right, you know, back to that New York Times article that you were, that you were talking about, Barb. I hope that he is right. I think that there is going to be a bit of a, you know what, I'll show you. You know, if you're going to tell me I can't vote or make it harder for me, I'm going to come out. I, I think that that will happen. He also said that the Georgia law, this is just about the Georgia law, yeah. not the laws in general that right. the Republicans are trying to pass. He also said that the Georgia law expanded, um, as they said, they expanded access in some respects by saying if you, you don't have enough polling places in some in a precinct, you've got to open some up so that people aren't waiting. So that would like make up for some of the the other stuff and the early voting that they changed still had it had an additional Saturday early voting, which okay. he counted as a plus. But the thing he didn't mention was, which I read in another article, was the church buses that go to what do they call it? Uh, buses to votes or yes, I don't know, but they have a name for it. It's black churches that drive on the Sunday before election day, so Sunday morning they all go and vote in Georgia. And they changed it so there wasn't Sunday morning voting or something like that, which seemed like a direct hit at this group of people that vote. I thought they had only cut, they, previously they could, they were, you could vote, I believe on those two Sundays before, and they cut it back to just one, to the, the one before the, yeah. I read that somewhere too. So some of these things are things we don't even have in Pennsylvania. I mean, except for mail-in voting, which is recent, there isn't early voting, really. They consider mail-in voting early voting. Okay, well, if they they're, keep- they're, they're intertwining the whole concept. Okay, well, if they keep that in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. you know, but they're trying, they're, the way they're trying to suppress the vote is gerrymandering. They're gonna go for the gerrymandering thing. And they don't like the voter box concept. They're fighting that one too. The drop, the drop boxes. boxes. The drop boxes. Georgia, yes. Georgia uh, stopped that too, or they, they don't like that either. I'm not sure why, because it's convenient. 
But according they, to their, yeah, exactly. They, they claim stuffing of, of ballots, but they cannot find any, any strong evidence for widespread stuffing. So it's all a guy's yeah. the ploy. So the Nate Cohen said that the drop boxes, not the drop boxes, but the convenience of voting was not really necessarily an attraction to voters. It didn't attract more voters when it was more convenient to their schedule. Voters that always vote like to make it easier, he said. Yeah. So for example, I always vote. I'm going to vote by mail. It's easier. But people that are newer voters or just sometimes vote or not super voters usually don't take advantage of those ease of voting things. And those are the voters that you really want to make sure you get to vote because the super voters are going to vote. They're going to always vote. So that was his take on it. I have a thought to that though. You know, when we live in rural America, a lot of our you know, the people that live here have an issue getting to the polls. So the convenience of a ma- of a mail-in ballot is they might not have been able to go even though they wanted to because they can't get there. And that's quite a few people in rural areas, whether you're a senior or you don't have a car, or I do think that's a fairly good number of people, at least where, where we live or like where we live. Well, well I we think know Nate Cohen's been wrong in the past. Yeah. He's frigging wrong all about the polls. We uh, saw a shitload of mail-ins, I'll tell you that, a ton ton this past election yeah yeah so there's got to be reason for that it was was covid but i think too i I think it was convenient for them i i I, I do oh i can get a mail-in oh i don't have to go out oh i don't have to take off of work yeah absolutely oh i think maybe not but you know was it 10 percent? was it 20 even if it was that that's enough. That's enough to affect the race. What was our Susquehanna County? Do you know offhand what our Susquehanna County uh, voting percent was? The percentage? It, of- it was around 81%. Oh my wow. God. That's yeah. great. It was the highest it ever was. I believe that it was close to 25,000 people voted. 81% of um, registered voters. Wow. Yeah. It's the highest it's ever been. Liz, we cut you off. What were you going to say? Well, the thing about what, what Judy was saying about um, ease of voting... I think part of that too, in the, the last election, people saw the consequences of electing Donald Trump and people came out to vote. They stood in long lines. And I've been joking with friends on Facebook and on Twitter that if they try and limit my right to vote, it makes me even more determined. I will crawl over broken glass to, ca- to cast a vote now, especially now that I know my legislators are trying to limit my my access to the ballot box. So Eric, I think that, that encouraged people to vote. There could be that kind of blowback too. You know, yeah. the more they try and suppress it, the more people are going to be determined to vote. And related to that, Liz, Eric and I, prior to coming on the podcast this evening and recording, we were taking a class by, um, it, it was offered statewide and it was on campaigning and communication during campaigning, grassroots campaigning, being part of the party, all, all that stuff. And um, it was an expert in the field. I don't remember his name offhand, but he had said now more than ever, normally after a race we just went through, the Democratic Party, most of us say, okay, give me six months, give me a year, I got to take a break, and then I'll get back involved. The difference between those days and now is that the statistics are showing that has not happened. Democrats and grassroots campaigns have continued, have continued to go. So not only are people motivated, I think, to vote, I think you're right there. I think people are motivated now more than ever to stay involved, which 
even affects the vote even in a more positive way. So that's the hope that I have. Right, right. That's absolutely true. Now we were going to talk about the For the People Act that yeah. was um, introduced in 2019, and according to the Times, was a, po a political statement more than a serious promotion of the People's Act because of course, the Senate and the presidency were in the hands of the Republicans. But now it's a different story. So it's been reintroduced. There are some controversial things on there that I think will probably be taken out like statehood for D.C. I mean, I think uh, D.C. residents should be able to elect a representative and elect their president. So that's in there. And mail-in voting for everybody is in there with postage paid responses, you know, postage page envelopes. And I think that's very important because it makes it even easier to vote if you don't have to. Now, I always have stamps, but I'm, you know, and I'm an old lady. I think younger people don't always have stamps because what do they mail? So that's one of the things in the bill. And what were some other facts, Liz, you found besides... Oh, I found, um, oh, it would require presidential tax returns to be made, be made public. Hmm. That's a very that novel idea. idea. Yeah, I love that idea. It might be a strange thing to be in. A, in a Where'd they get that from, I wonder? I wonder. <laughs> it also offers same-day voter registration for federal elections and permits voters to make changes to the registration at the polls. It would require states to hold early voting for at least two weeks. It would establish automatic voter registration for in individuals to be eligible to vote in elections for federal office and state, which and I think that is right there would be phenomenal. Automatic registration. Why? Yeah. Yep. 18 why years old. Why is that controversial? You know? Yeah. Why is that mm -hmm. a democratic thing? I mean, a lot of these things, I don't understand how the Republicans can say it gives the Democrats an advantage. Part of being an American adult, you know? Because the Republicans know they can't win without trying to inhibit the vote. Yeah. Yeah. Let's I gerrymander. Let's, let's mm -hmm. make it hard. Let's require this, that, and the other. So it would... For ballot access, it would make the playing field, everybody would have to, all states would have to have a certain level of ballot access that the act lays. Now, some states are already better than what they have more access than what this, so they would be able to keep that, of course. Mm -hmm. And some states are at the same level that this act specifies, but some states would have to come up to the bar, like Texas and Tennessee, he, in the Times article, they mentioned Colorado and Minnesota as being states that have rules that are more generous mm -hmm. than the bill mandates. So, of course, they would keep those. Other states that didn't have as much ballot access would have to come up to the bar that the Federal Act, the, the People's Act, for the People Act uh, represents. And look at all these states, Barb and Liz, that have been, have had these things in place for many years, several years, and they have been doing it without a problem. Right. No one has been complaining. Right. And, and it has been. This um, also makes Election Day a federal holiday. And okay. That's a big one for people. They can't get out of work. Yeah. You know, absolutely. That should. I don't I don't know why that should be a problem. I mean, who could have a problem with that? Well, Republicans could, but I don't know why. It doesn't make any well, sense. Here's an interesting fact I just thought of. You know, I lived in Montana for all those years. And Montana's laws, voting laws, were much more progressive than Pennsylvania's. We had same-day registration. They had um, the voting booth at the courthouse, you know, like several weeks before the election. And ironically, these things are supposedly favor Democrats. But, but this past year in Montana, up and down the ballot passed 
elected Republicans from the very from the governorship all the way down to now the legislature has a Republican majority and they're of course are running roughshod over any reasonable law in the in the state. But I mean that's a, a point that these things don't always favor Democrats. No, right? also right, absolutely. And also it says as Republicans have increasingly appealed to lower income and less educated voters, some experts say the restrictions that they have imposed may actually be cutting into turnout by the party's loyalists. Uh, if you're making it harder for people, low income and less educated, it's not only going to hit Democrats, it's going to true. You know, it's going to hit some of their people too. So they, they might want to look into that. I don't know. I think they're gauging it off of what's going in Georgia and don't understand the rest of how things are. But I think you're right. I think you're 100%. It's but not, something needs to be done. Something needs to be done with that. That and campaign reform. We, we need a reform on which all fronts. This bill, which is in this bill. Oh, the, it's got a lot of campaign getting rid of foreign money in campaigns mm -hmm. that would become uh, open or illegal, I guess. It is illegal. But they would have to, I don't know. But anyway, they're working, they're trying. More accountability. It would be essentially overturning Citizens United because it would make it, corporations wouldn't be treated as people as they are in Citizens United. It would get rid of gerrymandering by political parties. So partisan gerrymandering would end because they wouldn't, oh. they would have independent. Uh, among other redistricting changes, the bill would mandate that political maps be drawn by nonpartisan commissions not by state legislatures. If a legislature refused to approve a map, a three-judge federal panel would take over drafting, which is what happened in Pennsylvania. So that would be great. So this bill, is this bill up for vote right now, Barb? Or where is it at? Well, let's talk about that because the Senate has their version, which is the um, John Lewis bill, I think. The main thing here is the Democrats are in kind of a quandary because in order to pass it, they're gonna need 10 Republicans and they know that, and all the Democrats. So they know they're not gonna get 10. They know they're not gonna get 10 Republicans. So they're gonna to have to decide about getting rid of the filibuster. And they have some Democrats that aren't interested in getting rid of the filibuster, but maybe they would be interested in getting rid of the filibuster if it meant we have to vote this, some kind of a voting rights act. And the, if the Republicans aren't on board with even negotiating about it, then they're gonna to have to convince all 50 Democrats. Mm -hmm. Hello, Joe Manchin. Hello. To go for the, getting rid of the filibuster. In a limited way or a big way, I don't give a crap. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And then I think what they're doing, this is my personal know-nothing opinion. I think they want to see what happens with the infrastructure bill. And if they can't get that through, I think they definitely will get rid of the filibuster. I think they'd want to do that first. And then they're going to be thinking about the For the People Act. Now, the For the People Act did pass the House. And so it's at the Senate now. And they are talking about it, their version of it. And then they reconcile. If that passes in the Senate, which doesn't seem likely to me, then they reconcile it. But we'll have to wait and see. Now, we've already seen our congressman has said it's, you know, partisan. And the For the People Act is so partisan, it's just going to make Democrats win everything. Uh, and he knocks it because it's, it takes away free speech. And what he's talking about is the citizens, uh, mm -hmm. it takes away the free speech of corporations to put dark money into campaigns without yep. any 
you know, they can buy politicians like him without any anybody knowing about it, who's giving the money. So that's what his free speech issue is. That's the frustrating thing. If you, if you paid attention to campaigns and politics, all of this is so obvious. Uh, this leads me to is, um, the rule by minority rule, minority rule, because I was looking at some statistics by um, the historian Heather Cox Richardson. She's a big thing on oh, yeah. Facebook. Yeah, yes. people read her. Because of, because of gerrymandering, she says, um, Democrats defeated Republicans by 3.1 percentage points in, in the House races this past, this past race, but, lost, but still lost 12 seats in the House. And then in the Senate, it's basically a 50-50 split, right? Between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats represent 41.5 million more people than the Republicans in the Senate. But yet the Senate Republicans maintain all this power and they stop all these, these, these law changes that, that the majority of Americans want. Yes. Like, I came across, you know, like most people, what's in those numbers? 77% of Americans like the American Rescue Plan, but not one Republican voted for it. Right, right, right. But a whole bunch of them are taking credit. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wait, let's get back to that. How could they take credit? Who's the congressman that they're on Facebook? We've got $2 billion coming into this area. And, two, and, and they're like, dude, you voted against the bill. And you're yeah. like on Facebook, all like hip, hip, hooray, got money coming for you. But listen, we're not going to change the people that are already convinced. We're not going to educate those people. What the problem is, is those people that are in between that boatload, shitload of people that don't care either way and don't get involved. I think those are the people that are waking up because it's right in your face now. I hope. I think I think not paying attention to politics is sometimes worse of a problem than not knowing the truth about politics in a lot of ways. Those are the people that we have to educate and reach. Yeah. So share our podcast with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> there are some Republicans. Unfortunately, it's not that many. Like John Boehner's book is... Yes you know, coming out and, and talking about, well, he calls them the morons. I don't call people morons, so I won't say it, but he calls them morons. I do. <laughs> I know the morons. Republicans that uh, came into power when he was trying to negotiate with Obama on various things, the Tea Party people, mm -hmm. essentially, and they're still there and they're even worse. Now we've got you know, it used to be that people like, what's her name, Marjorie, what's her name, would not have a chance of getting elected. And she did. She did. And she she thinks she's got some power. It's scary. Yeah. All right. So I guess we've covered this topic. I guess we have. Yes. Yes, indeed. I wanted to say a few things, if I could, about the trial of Derek Chauvin. So the defense is trying to say even though you see the video of Derek Chauvin's knee clearly on the neck of George Floyd and the, his defense, Chauvin's defense, he, every time that comes up, he says, well, you see it on, you see the knee on his neck or shoulder. I mean, on his shoulder, not on his neck, because they refute that on his shoulder or his back kind of on his shoulder back and he goes like this, like not on his neck every single time, even though many of us, and I'm sure many of our listeners have seen this horrible video. But, you know, he's trying to say it was something other than it was. And today he showed these two, he's questioning the superintendent of police in Minneapolis, who is a black man who's been uh, the superintendent for since seven, 2017. But he also sued at one point uh, the Minneapolis police 
while he was in it for um, the leadership ignoring the racism, which is within the department. And so that's interesting. So he's somebody that a New York Times reporter said, I've talked to him, I've questioned him, and he will not say yes or no to anything. His answer always gears you toward what he wants you to learn from his answer. You know, he sort of aims his answer in a direction that he wants it to go. So he will not answer yes or no. And that's what he does. And it's, it's very interesting. And there's, of course, been some very emotional, uh, the early days of the trial, um, the first couple of days, very emotion, emotional testimony from witnesses who all witnessed the same thing, the torment of this man by Derek Chauvin and have been changed by it. I caught that part of it, Barb. I've unfortunately not been able to watch the whole thing, but the first couple of days I caught a lot of those interviews and they were powerful, but it's amazing for as much as it's been covered by the press and there was a lot that resulted from it. There was a lot that we didn't know. I didn't know that there was such a crowd on the outside that people were um, trying to get the police off of him and he wasn't moving and they were getting upset and the 911 operator was concerned about it too. And I mean, it adds a whole other layer, you know, that this adds a depth to it even more. So I thought the dude was guilty before the, the you know, the, the man that's standing trial. Um, but this just solidified it for me. But those interviews were, were powerful. Those poor people are, are still haunted by what they saw. Could you imagine coming up to that, young. coming up to that on the street and seeing that happen and being, feeling helpless and maybe you went through that too, to some degree. And, you know, this crowd starts to build and people are upset and crying and, you know, get off of them. And I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't. And you know, I, I fear if he gets off because that will be a total dis, you know, disservice and injustice. I, I fear he'll get off. And I hope not. The man needs to be found guilty just from what I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the prosecution is, is, is really has a great, has a good case. And I think they're laying it out very well. And they've got a lot of experienced attorneys that they've got pro bono, a couple of pro bono people and the um, deputy attorney general is is one of the questioners. What were you going to say, Liz? Oh, I'm just, um, I'm concerned, you know, if he were to be somehow exonerated of this, I really fear the repercussions across the country, the violence, the protesting. It could be worse than Rodney King. Yeah. If that, I, I don't think that's going to happen. It just seems so overwhelmingly against Chauvin. But boy, that would be a dark, dark day if that happened. If he got it off would. somehow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't promote it. I would hope that didn't happen. But just knowing how the, the tension is still there and um, but you know, everything that happened after it happened, you know, all of the protests and the rallies from just that. It, it, yeah, I agree. They say it's unusual that the superintendent of police and the highest ranking, longest serving, I don't know, police officer commander that was there at the time, well, after he was called in after to the crime scene, that they testified for the for the prosecution. They say that's very unusual. And the the woman that testified, the last person to testify today, Katie Blackwell, is a is a lieutenant or something in the Minneapolis police. And she was a trainer, you know, and they're trying to show that it wasn't policy. And she comes out and right and says, you know, when the uh, prosecutor 
shows her again, the, the still picture of Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck. She comes right up. He says, is this, pol did you, is this policy, is this one way of, of restraining? And she, she says, no, that, you know, I, I've never seen anything like that. That's nothing that we would train people to use to, as a, as a force to restrain somebody. So, I mean, he didn't even rebut that. The defense attorney did not even rebut that. So I don't know. I mean, we haven't heard the defense's case, but I don't know. We've kind of heard it with his cross-examination. Supposedly, he's going to call a bunch of medical people. I don't know. Because they want to prove that he didn't die of, of asphyxiation, but he died because he had drugs and he had a heart condition or whatever. Yeah. See, that's the defense's job. And I've covered enough trials. All the defense attorney has to do is introduce enough doubt to get the jurors you know, arguing among themselves then you get a hung jury or they can't, they can't convict. And that's what he'll, you'll, you'll be focused on that. But that's what's disturbing. But the prosecution has knows that and they have been, they've had the, you know, the emergency room doctor, they've had all these people come in and talk about how he was essentially dead before they even called 911. They didn't have a pulse and how they, they didn't treat him. They didn't try to even turn him on his side until the, till the um, emergency vehicle got there. So there's a lot of evidence that they're, they're using to, and he said, I can't breathe famously, you know. What did the official coroner's report say? Did they, well, that's did they the problem. That? They, they said, essentially they said his heart and lungs stopped working. Forget what it's called. Oh yeah, they would, wouldn't they? But that's how a lot of people die. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, sorry, the emergency room doctor that testified yesterday said he thought it was from asphyxiation, but he had been he had been like 20 days on the job or something like that. He's a new doctor, which they could hit that. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I remember uh -huh. a quote from his daughter. Um, Floyd said a six-year-old daughter after this, after the Black Lives Matter um, protests, and she says, daddy changed the world. Yeah. You know, and I, I have to think about Floyd's family and his thoughts and prayers and all that, but I think maybe he did, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd like to think that all this, this craziness right now, all this, this upheaval is maybe that, that storm before the calm, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think he did something too, and that maybe this will allow us to leap, you know, to where we need to be with racial relations and equality and yeah. Maybe it's this generation now, people that live now that have to do the hard work for, and this is part of it. I know we're not going to stop fighting for what, what's right. And there's a millions of, there are millions of people that feel like we do. Yeah. Yay. All right. Yay to that. Yeah. Pops, so I, pops, I hope you guys had a nice Easter egg hunt or whatever. <laughs> yes. We, we, did. we had a nice Easter. It was, it was the perfect day. It was the perfect, Beautiful. perfect day. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's I've been nice. finding little flowers. Spring is here. Spring is here. And uh, the snow, I think, is now, as of today, maybe almost all, go all gone. I don't know. I haven't looked in the woods. but Flowers are up. I ate my own weight in Cadbury mini eggs. <laughs> <laughs> they're the best, though. Oh, my gosh. They're the best. Well, it's great to see you. And um, we'll do this again. Maybe separation of church and state. We've been talking about Oh, yeah. That is a subject that's uh, important and interesting. And Kate wants to join us when we talk about that. So sounds like sounds a plan. Good. No Perfect. lack of topics, are there? No, there aren't. <laughs> we'll be doing this till we're 120 girls. You stuck with me for a while. You betcha. <laughs> you betcha. Monsters. Right.
All right. Thanks, you guys. Bye, guys. Have a great night. Bye.